Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your spirit with us. Lord, thank you for the risen Christ. Thank you for the glory that is yours alone. Lord, we are in awe of you. You are worthy because you have overcome. You are the lamb that was slain, Lord Jesus, but you're alive forevermore. Glory to you. Praise be to you. May our hearts, Lord, truly be captured by your glory. May the glory of your name be the passion of this church. We love you. We bask in your presence this morning. We bless you, God of heaven and earth. And God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Time change Sunday. That's timeless, right? The worship of the Lord, timeless. Thank you so much. Let's turn to the book of Exodus, would you, this morning, Exodus chapter 12. I want you to turn to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12. If you're using the Bible, it's provided for you. You'll find our passage this morning on page 53, Exodus chapter 12. Thanks to Brooke and the team leading us in worship. Uh, Really grateful for that. If you were not able to be with us last Sunday, I want to encourage you to Uh, get a copy of the CD message or go out online and watch that because we had a presentation from our pastors casting of a vision that we believe the Lord has given and confirmed in our hearts to share with the congregation and that is we believe that God's leading us to plant a new church Uh, and we believe that God has put his hand upon Uh, two of our pastors, Derek Grizz and Jared Raby, to lead in this uh, mission initiative. Very excited about it, and we're praying, ask you to be praying. Last week, we had about 400 that joined the prayer team, and if you were not able to do that, just take a card there in the back pocket of the chair, say, I want to be on the prayer team, give your email address, and then you'll be given some prayer prompts to guide you in how to pray about this. We're listening to the Lord. We're asking the Lord to give us by his spirit a unity and a confirmation, an affirmation to the whole body. And so in in view of that, we next Sunday night are having a time of more information sharing. We'd love to have you come. It'll be over in the Hub Student Center at six o'clock. Time of fellowship, but then just asking, answering questions, giving a little bit more about what we understand uh, the Spirit to be saying. And uh, so we encourage you to come and be a part of that. It's an exciting, exciting season. But most of all, we want to be praying as a church family. I encourage you as you believe in West Park and you desire for this body to be led to the Spirit to, over the next few weeks, be Praying, maybe setting aside some time for fasting and prayer. That would certainly be appropriate. 
Well, we're here in Exodus chapter 12. I ask you to turn there. And now as you turn there, I, I do have an unusual question for you. I want to ask you, how many of you are sailors or you're married to a sailor? And let me explain what I mean by that. When I say that, I, I mean this when I say sailor, I don't mean someone who goes to sea, I mean someone who goes to sails, okay? Anybody here married to a sailor? <laughs> or you're a sailor? I am married to a sailor. Susie Sailor. <laughs> and I tell you, uh, you're driving somewhere and she'll see something, it'll be like, sail ho, you know. <laughs> And, and I promise you, I've been, I've heard her almost talk like a pirate, you know. I can just hear it, sail ho, off the starboard, matey. Come near and we'll board her. It's, she is amazing. She has brought home more treasures. <laughs> and they are buried treasures in our house now. But I, I must admit, sometimes with all of my making fun, she has brought home what others might consider junk and her husband as well, but she makes it into a treasure. Now, the most, the prominent example, the best example of this is hanging in our dining room on the wall. It's a large, large painting. Years ago, Susan brought home this painting that was covered with dirt and grime, and it had this very ornate uh, framing around it. She said, I, I bought it for the frame. I like the frame. I'll find a, a, a painting, but I, just, I like the frame. And so, oh, okay, okay. So it was out in the garage, and I was hoping it would be buried out there with the other treasures. But I got, we got looking at it. So we looked curious about what might be behind the grime. So we started cleaning off the, the frame and cleaning off the picture. And it was amazing what, what came from that grime was this beautiful pastoral scene that had been painted. It was one of mountains in the distance, pasture lands, a, a flowing river, with sheep coming down to water at the river, shepherds gathered there, some playing instruments in the shade of a tree. It was beautiful. And so we cleaned it up and I told her how I knew all along it would be great and <laughs> we had just a place for it. And so we put it up there in the house. But one day, I was looking at it, enjoying it. I noticed something in the left corner I had not seen before. So I went over and I got closer. I looked in the left corner and there in the shade underneath the trees was the figure of a man walking. And next to him was a donkey. And on the donkey was a woman dressed in blue, holding a little baby. And you could see the faint outline of an angel pointing ahead. 
And of course, I recognize immediately, this, this is Joseph, Mary, the Christ child, and the angel is pointing them away from Jerusalem. And you can see on one of the mountains in the back, I've never noticed before, Jerusalem. And is guiding them to go to Egypt, away from Herod. And so this painting is the flight into Egypt. A beautiful, beautiful painting. Now, that led me to examine it a little more closely. I found something very interesting. This artist had not only put the image of the Holy Family in the painting, but he'd also put symbols of death. When you look closer, the tree by which Jesus and his parents are passing is dying. When you look at some of the sheep, some are drinking water, but some have gone and they're falling off a cliff to their death. So in this work of art, the artist in portraying the life of Jesus, a moment in the life of Jesus as a little child, also put an image of what was ahead. The cross, death. Friends, that's the way it is in the Bible. We read some of the stories in the Old Testament very quickly. But I would encourage you, look for Jesus on every page. The Old Testament is full of stories that have on them the face of Christ and also what I would call the shadow of the cross. What I'd like us to do this morning, next Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, and then at that Good Friday service, I'd like us to look at some of these stories in the Old Testament, and I want us to see the shadow of the cross, the cross before the cross, to see Christ and his sacrifice in the Old Testament. Now, the story this morning I want us to see has to do with the great event in the history of Israel, the story of the Passover and their deliverance as a nation out of slavery. I want you to follow along as we read about it in Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The shadow of the cross. This morning I want us to see Christ. Because Christ is our Passover. This is not some history lesson of an incredible event. It is the story of eternal salvation for the people of God. I want you to see Christ in this story. Notice, if you would, these, these ways. I pray it'll make it alive in your heart today. You see Christ here even in the purpose of the Passover. The Passover has a purpose. Its immediate purpose is deliverance. God is delivering his people. Passover is about the deliverance of God's people. Delivered from what? Well, delivered from slavery, first of all. They're delivered from slavery. Verses 40 and 41, we did not read that, says that Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. Jacob went down with about 70 members of the family to meet his son, Joseph, who he thought dead, but was alive and ruling in Egypt Jacob, whose name had been changed to Israel, went down with about 70 members of that family, the Israelites, to live in the land of Egypt. They were there for centuries. Not long after Joseph's death, the Bible says there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. He did not know the story of this savior of the people, this Jewish man who had been raised up to deliver the nation. He wanted nothing to do with 
Joseph and his family, all he saw in these Israelites, he just saw a threat and he saw an opportunity for slavery. And so the people of Israel became slaves in Egypt. For 430 years, Israel was in Egypt. And on the very day that Jacob went down into Egypt, 430 years to the very day, the Lord God delivered his people out of slavery. They went out from the land. It was emancipation day, emancipation night, you could say. And though there were only about 70 Israelites who went into Egypt 430 years earlier, there were approximately a million and a half that went out that night. Unbelievable. But absolutely True. Passover is about freedom from slavery, and also Passover is about deliverance from judgment. It was a night of judgment. That night that the Israelites were freed was a night of judgment because the Bible says God passed through the whole land of Egypt. The final plague upon Egypt, because of the oppression of his people and the hardness of their hearts, God came and he brought a terrible judgment. The firstborn of the whole land passed away. God passed through Egypt, but he passed over his people passed over them. Deliverance. He showed himself to be a deliverer God. And friends, can you not see Christ in that? Christ is the one who delivers people from slavery. The Bible says, if the son shall make you free, what? You will be free indeed. What does the Bible say about being freed in Christ from condemnation? Paul says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, we see Christ in the purpose of the Passover. He is the Passover. But not only do you see him in the purpose of the Passover, let's look a little deeper here. How is it that Jesus delivers people? How does he do that? Well, you see Christ here as he is the sacrifice that brings the Passover. And you see Christ even in the preparation of the Passover. Did you notice the details that the Lord gave about the preparation of the Passover? He says, you are to do this on the 10th day of the month. This shall be the first month for you from now on. It would become known as the month of Nisan. Nisan. You will do this on the 10th day of the month. Verse five says, You will do this on the 10th day. Your lamb will be without blemish. Make it a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Make sure the lamb is young. One year old. Make sure the lamb is without blemish. That is without defect. And then very interesting. Notice what God says. He says you are to tether the lamb 
to your house. You're to, you're to tether it, keep it up for four days until the 14th of the month. I'm reminded when I read that, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was carefully observed by four gospel writers. And all four gospel writers observing his life said, he is perfect. He's without blemish. And I'm also reminded that when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time, he entered Jerusalem and he was tethered to Jerusalem for four days. He stayed in the environs of his father's house. Four days as the Lamb of God, he was there near the father's house in Jerusalem. Look at verse six. And you shall keep it. You keep this lamb until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. That word twilight is literally between the evenings. Between the evenings in the Jewish reckoning of time, it was when the sun moved down from its zenith and started it downward until sunset. That was known as between the evenings. In the New Testament times, it would be as we would think of three o'clock to about sunset. Between the evenings. Look at verse seven. They shall kill their lambs and then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. Don't you see Christ here? The lamb is slain between the evening as Jesus about the ninth hour, the Bible says, three, or three o'clock shortly after, at the time of the beginning between the evenings, he cried out with a loud voice and delivered himself up to God. At that very moment when Jesus cried out in the temple, hundreds and hundreds of lambs were being sacrificed for the Passover festival. And do you see Jesus in what happened with the blood? It says they were to smear the blood on the top of their door and on the right and on the left. Over the door of every Israelite house was to be the sign of the cross. Bloody sign of the cross over the door on the left and on the right. Applied to the door of every Israelite. We see Christ, our Passover. See him right here. Look at 
Notice how they ate the Passover. Even in the partaking of the Passover, you see Christ. Look at verse eight. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. This was not a delicious meal. Passover was not a, a, a banquet feast that was delightful. It, it had a taste of bitterness about it. The lamb was roasted. It was, not, it was not to be offered, verse nine, raw or boiled, but it was to be roasted. All of it was to be roasted, head and legs and inner parts. It was a whole burnt offering to God. And none of it was to remain until the morning. Anything that remained until morning would be burned. In this manner, you'll eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Very specific about how they were to eat it. It was to be roasted like an offering. They were to eat the entire animal. And they were to eat it completely. Nothing was to be left. Anything left had to be burned. And they were to eat it quickly. They were to eat it completely because it was a sacrifice. The one sacrifice that God had ordained. They were to take in completely. And they were to eat this sacrifice quickly because When God passed through, after he had passed over them, they would become pilgrims headed to the promised land. They'd no longer be slaves. They would be the people of God purchased and they would be on their way to the promised land. You can see Christ, can't you? Did you see him? But the way that we see Christ most of all, I want you to notice this. We see him most of all in the protection during the Passover. The people were protected during this judgment that came that night. The people were protected, but how were they protected? Well, look at verse 23. For the Lord will pass through, pass through to strike the Egyptian. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer, that is death, to enter your houses to strike you. Now, imagine the scene. Can you visualize this? Can you see yourself standing with the Israelite slaves. You're huddled together in a slave shack. Dimly lit room from an oil lamp. You can still smell the fire. You can smell the roasted fragrance of the lamb. Standing there huddled, dressed to travel, waiting in the dark, waiting. And then you hear it. 
off in the distance, you hear a cry. And then another cry. Cries, wails, shrieks of despair rising all around you. Hear it coming from the streets of the Egyptians, the wailing of grief as in every house of the Egyptians, the firstborn is dead. The Israelites hear that and they are terrified but they are completely safe. Why? Because they're huddled behind a bloody cross-stained door. They're behind the cross. They're behind the blood of the lamb. They can't see the blood. They're huddled there hearing the shrieks and wails knowing that almighty God is passing up their streets in judgment, but they're safe because what they cannot see that's on the outside of their doors, God can see, he sees the blood, the blood of the lamb, and he passes over each and every one of those houses. More terrified than the Israelites were the Egyptians. They ran shrieking from their homes. They came (laughs) pounding on the door of the Israelites. Get out, get out from among us. Death is on you, death is on us. Get out, here, here, take this, take this. They're stuffing silver and gold in their pockets. They're throwing priceless garments and silk on them. Get out, leave us, leave us. It's such a hurry that the Israelites don't even have time to get their bread ready for the next day. They don't have time to put it in the kneading trough so that it can rise. And so they just leave with their empty bread troughs clanging on their shoulders and their hands and their pockets stuffed with precious items. Look at verse 14. We even see Christ here in the practice, how the Israelites were to practice the Passover. How were they to practice this going forward? Verse 14, God said, this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person will be cut off from Israel. This was to be a reminder. The 
feast, the seven days of unleavened bread would be a reminder to the people of Israel how they were saved from slavery, how they were set free, and the one who had set them free, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had visited them in their slavery. He had brought judgment on their enemies. He had made them his people, and now they were to be a people of God. And every year they were reminded that they were his special possession, and they were to live that in their mind. And that's the reason the Bible tells us, brothers and sisters, for us as Christians, we are a Passover people. And because we're a Passover people, God wants us to be a pure people. 1 Corinthians 5 says this. I want you to see verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you see that you need to cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened? For Christ, your, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We are to be a pure people. Why? Because we're afraid God will get us. Are we to be a pure people because we have an incredible list of do's and don'ts that soaks the joy and robs the thrill out of our lives? Is that the reason we're to be pure? No, we're to be pure because Christ is our sacrificial lamb. He died for us. And the blood has been applied to our sinful lives and God has passed over us. And we have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. We are his people. We are his nation. We are pilgrims to Zion. We belong to him. We're not of this world. We're just passing through. Friends, I want us to see Christ as we approach Passover. Listen, Easter is rooted in Passover. Why does Easter Sunday change every year? Because it's connected to Passover. It's connected to the Jewish Passover. Because as on the 14th of Nisan, God delivered the Jewish people by the sacrifice of a lamb. So God has delivered his people forever from their sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is our Passover. And I want you to see the promise. There's a promise here. There's a promise for every person here this morning. Regardless, there is a promise for every single person here this morning. It's an unconditional promise. When God makes a promise, he has to keep it because he is the God who cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. And God makes a promise that is an unconditional promise to anyone in this room, anyone who hears my voice, who will accept this promise, God will fulfill it. 
Here's the promise. Verse 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Friends, that's the assurance. That's the confidence. I want to say a word to some believers today who are doubters. You believe that your, your heart struggles with confidence in your salvation. You, you believe, but at times you wonder if, you're, if you really, really belong to the Lord. And I want to encourage you, friends, stop looking at yourself. Don't look to yourself to be the one who brings you confidence. There's no confidence in here. There's no assurance. You won't find assurance in, you, in your heart. You won't find assurance in your past. Where, where does assurance come from? Assurance comes by looking where God looks. Where does God look? When I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. So where do you look away from yourself for assurance? You look to the blood of the Lamb of God. And you acknowledge, I'm not worthy. I am a sinner. I have failed. I have shortchanged the Lord and my fellow man. I cannot earn heaven, but I stand with the Lamb. I stand behind the cross. I take my stand only, totally, completely trusting in the outstretched, blood-covered hands of Jesus. That is my hope. That's a salvation assurance. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Friends, we don't see Jesus. We don't see his blood. But by faith, we can lay hold of him. We can trust that what he did as the lamb was more than enough to cover our sins. Friends, your pile of sins like mine may be higher than any of the Smoky Mountains, but I wanna tell you, the grace of Jesus and his worth is an everlasting Everest of mercy. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Friends, come under the blood. You cannot be saved by coming to church. It's not come under the church roof. It's not come under some denominational level label. It, it's not even come under the water, though baptism is so important as it testifies of your faith. The one place where there is salvation is under the blood of Christ. Come stand there. Come under Christ, just like the thief on the cross who could do nothing. His life was ebbing away. He had wasted his life. He had sinned but his eyes were open that Christ would forgive him, was dying for him. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. 
two thieves. One went to heaven that day. One, as far as we know, died and went to hell. Because one would not confess and call on the Lord. And one in his misery came under the blood of Jesus and believed. Friend, today, some of you in your hearts and minds need to settle this. With all of your heart, come to Jesus. Come, take your stand beneath him, kneel beneath him. Call upon him for his salvation. Believe that he died and his blood was shed to save sinners. Call upon him. Cast your soul and trust your life and your eternal destiny to the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. And the Bible says, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved but you gotta take him. You can't just take the piece of the lamb that you want. You can't just take the part of Jesus that pleases you. You gotta wrap your arms around the Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, and you cling to him that he is your lamb. He's not just a lamb. He's not just the lamb. He's your lamb. And when you do that, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You'll become mine. And I'm starting to lead you to my home. Follow me.